So wait, l let me ask a potentially uh, a question that will show my ignorance about how GPUs work. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 80, recorded on May 26, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we talk about C++ multidimensional iterators, MD span, MD array, GPUs, and more. Then, then, sir, we shall continue. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about? You're keynoting at Array. Breaking news. As of when? 24 hours ago? 36 hours <laughs> <Yes>. ago? <laughs> yeah. Bryce I, like, just booked the flights. will be keynoting at the Array 2022 conference taking place in San Diego on June 13th, 2022. Why do I know the exact dates of this conference <laughs> of which Bryce is keynoting at, because I will also be presenting, not keyting, keynoting though, because <laughs> I actually did the heavy lifting of writing a paper, getting it accepted, and uh, therefore now getting to I just present. got an email from people, and I was like, sure, and then I booked some flights. This is the difference. Remember that one time when I was like, you know, you'll go on to be CEO of some company one day, and I'll do things. This is, <laughs> this is the difference between you and me, Bryce. Yeah. You get invited I to do. I'll be I'll be keynoting that. I'm going to be keynoting at a workshop at Europar in August. Europar? Yeah, it's a HBC conference. Nice, nice. Where's that uh, taking place? In Scotland, Glasgow. Should I do? I well, I was about to do a Scottish accent, but I uh, I, I decided not to. That's probably uh. <laughs> when we the last time that Connor and I were in Ireland. In, in northern ireland visiting my we, sister who is now recently married congratulations your, but Kieran. your sister is not in northern ireland but yes congratulations right Kieran. not northern ireland but i mean we did go yes, down to we, dublin we took a bus down to dublin and connor who is what percentage irish are you uh we'll round up and say 50 percent, 50 percent irish connor who is some percentage Irish. If you go by the n number of names in my name, Connor with one N, Patrick, those are like two of the most Irish names, and then my last name is Dutch, Hookstra. So I'm 67% Irish what? by name. By name, Dear listener, you may be beginning to see the problem here. <laughs> <laughs> I also love mashed potatoes, my favorite food in the world. Potatoes are the best. Connor seemed to be under the impression that he was <laughs> a lot more Irish than he actually was. <laughs> and so we got to Dublin and Connor, Connor during most of this trip had been rolling out his Irish accent in Northern Ireland. Um, and, uh, and I kept telling him, dude, you're going to get, you're going to get us killed. You are going to get us killed. Um, and then we, uh, we meet up with uh, uh, Connor's sister, Kieran, and it's Jack. Yeah, Jack, right? a good memory. Yeah. And uh, and her boyfriend now husband Jack, and um, and and Connor, like does the accent one more time, and I ask Jack, Jack, is it a, is it a good idea for him? Like, isn't it a bad idea for him to be doing that? And Jack is like, yeah. <laughs> and Connor retired the accent for the rest of the trip. <laughs> well, I actually, mean, the 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 picture of us that at least used to be on the ADSP landing It's still page. there. It's still there. 50% still there. It is from yeah. that Ireland trip. Yeah, we were in yeah. um, uh, Phoenix Park with the deer. Yes. Yeah. We were very excited about the deer. And I seem to recall both of us, our shoes got 
quite soaking wet, but I wisely <laughs> had brought a spare pair of socks because I knew that my shoes were susceptible to becoming wet. We went on a day trip. That's like a single day trip to Dublin and Bryce brought brought, not bought, br- brought with him an extra pair of socks. This is this is the guy this is who we're dealing with I, right I knew it was going to be rainy, and I knew that my shoes had, like, if there was any amount of water, my shoes were going to get inundated. And uh, Connor did not, and Connor had a less than pleasant uh, bus ride back to Northern Ireland. It's true. It's true. It was, uh, my feet were pretty cold the rest of the day. When, when was that? This was November of 2019, about oh, yeah, a few months just before the pandemic. The last pandemic. time that we had crazy... Travel plan. I, I see. I didn't think that it was ever going to go back to, you know, going abroad for three or four weeks at a time and doing multiple trips back to back. Um, but uh, I just booked a. I just finished making my my London, Tokyo, Toronto travel arrangements. Oh but yeah. I'm not actually flying directly to Toronto because, um, <laughs> I'm sure Toronto is a lovely and big city, but there's just not a lot of flights. Between Tokyo and Toronto. I mean, it so is I'm, it is so halfway across I'm the fl- world. So. Instead, I'm flying to a real city, New York, and then I'm flying to, to, to Toronto from New York. I mean, many people say that Toronto is the New York of Canada. So I, you know. Right. But but that's exactly my point, Connor. <laughs> New York doesn't have to be the New York of anywhere because <laughs> it's just New York. If your city has to be the X of something else, then... Eh, just saying in the pyramid of cities you're not at the very top that's true i mean that new york's got to be you know of the iconic cities of the world it's either number one or top three no doubt um yeah yeah and i see that i say that even acknowledging that i'm a westerner that lives in um like even taking into account you know beijing and uh other cities new york's up there um, so what are you going to yeah. be talking about at this uh, this keynote? I will be talking about C++ standard parallelism. I think I'll, I will, given the conference called Array, I'll probably be talking a good bit about things like MD span. Um, yeah. And, um, and, well, if I had time, I would talk more about the problem of multidimensional iterators in, uh, in C++. Um, how long? How long is your keynote? Is it? Uh, it's an hour. Damn! Look at that. I haven't. You get three I times as much talking time as me. You got twenty minutes. Oh. Because I think well, nice. I'm actually not entirely sure because I haven't registered for the conference yet, and it's a couple weeks away, so I should do that. But uh, uh, I'm pretty sure academic papers, at least in years past, they only get twenty minute presentation slots. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So yeah, I mean, it is more of an academic conference. Yeah. Um, For those that you don't know, yeah. Array is a conference that focuses on array languages and uh, multi-dimensional uh, libraries and the such. So, and it's co-located with PLDI, which is a programming language design and implementation conference that happens every year. So, multi-dimensional iterators. P- people who take a look at MDSpan that's going to C plus plus twenty three, God willing, um, you might notice that it doesn't have any iterators. Um, which uh, is a bit unfortunate because, you know, we're C++ programmers. We like to be able to take our data structures and data structure-like things and be able to sort them and, well, 
maybe sort of makes less sense in this context, but do things like count them or do reductions over them or find things in them. And for that, we would, you know, get iterators or ranges to those things and then plug them, plug those iterators or ranges into the C++ standard algorithms. But uh, you can't do that with MDSpan because it doesn't give you iterators. And the question that's probably in your mind is, why not? Well, it comes down to, uh, to optimization. Um, we can write uh, multidimensional iterators. Um, and there's sort of two approaches to how you can do it. Um, and neither of them is particularly palatable and both have performance problems. So the, the, the first way to write multidimensional iterator, and we're, we're going to use like two, the 2D case, the 2D matrix case as an example. So the first way to write a multidimensional iterator is to um, uh, collapse the indexing. Um, so you, uh, you, you sort of end up losing information here. You don't keep track of both um, I and J. You just keep like one, like where am I in the sequence number? Um, and if you ever need to like recover the I and J indices, you do like modulo stuff using the size of the, um, uh, the, the, the extents of the dimensions to figure out like the coordinates of your point. Now this assumes of course that like all the elements are in some contiguous storage and that you can just like iterate through them. So this approach is nice because your element-wise iteration using your iterator is nice and fast. You just do an increment every time. Um, it's just like a like a pointer basically or, or a stood vector iterator. Um, but any time that you need to recover the um, the indices, um, you have to do some expensive modulo math, and that's uh, that can be slow. You know that 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 can become you know divisions, which are uh, notoriously a a slow operation. So we don't generally like that approach. Although if we wanted to just have iterators solely for the purpose of doing element-wise operations like reductions or finds or um, stuff like that. Um, that would probably be a pretty good approach. The other approach um, is to do a, a multidimensional iterator that actually uh, it, it, it keeps track of the indices. So instead of it just, you know, iterating through the underlying data, um, it maintains the indices and updates them. Now, the problem with this is, and I'll actually show you because back when... Back in the day, when I worked at uh, Berkeley Lab, I spent a substantial amount of time doing research on this general problem space. So the problem is um, when you're doing this, you are basically embedding one for loop inside of, or multiple for loops potentially, inside of um, your, uh, uh, your iterator. So I'm gonna show you an example of what I mean here. Um, I'm going to share my screen. I'm not going to show you the listener. I'm going to show was, Connor I was, the I was thinking, I'm sure the listener understands that when you say you, you mean me, not the listener, because this is a podcast. And yeah. They're not seeing anything. 
Although, we'll, this looks like a open source on your page, so we'll we'll include yeah, a yeah. link to index underscore iterator dot HPP in uh, Bryce's, one of Bryce's repos here. Let's imagine that we've got some for loop that's, you know, iterating over um, some two-dimensional iterator. Um, you know, like a range-based for loop over some two-dimensional iterator. Um, so one of the things it's going to do, it's going to call increment on those iterators. So it's going to do operator plus plus on those iterators. And then it's going to do some amount of comparisons to check whether it's reached the end iterator. Um, but let's just focus on the increment right now. So what happens when you increment one of these multidimensional iterators? Well, you can't just increment both of the indices um, or one of the indices. You also have to check whether you've reached the end of one of the rows. Um, and, and, and so like what, what you do is, um, uh, you know, the, the code, the code that I have before Connor, I do increment the, um, uh, the I or the, the, the first index and then check whether we've reached the end of the, um, uh, that extent. And if we have, then increment the J index and reset the I index to zero. Um, now that means that there's, um, an, you know, an if statement in there. So conditional uh, uh, or control flow, um, uh, you know, a branch. Um, and I've put these little comments next to um, uh, some of these operations here, like next to the to that first increment of the I index, I've written inner loop iteration expression. And then next to the check of whether the, um, the first index has reached the end of the row, I've written a comment that says inner loop condition. And then I've got the increment of that J index and I've put, I called that the outer loop increment. And then the reset of the, um, uh, of the I index to be zero I've called that the inner loop init statement. And I've, I've added these comments here to make it clear to somebody who's reading this code that um, inside of this increment operator is the logic or most of the logic of what would be a language for loop if you were instead writing this as like a C style nested for loops. So if instead of using this, you know, fancy 2D index iterator, you were just to write, you know, four, one for loop over the I indices and one, or one for loop over the J indices and then one inner for loop over the I indices, um, you know, th that inner I indice for loop in this code, it become part of that logic gets put into this um, increment operator. And then some of the other logic, so I mentioned the outer loop increment is inside of this increment operator. Now the outer loop init statement is, you know, going to happen in the actual for loop where you use this index iterator um, and ditto for the, you know, the, the condition where you check whether the index iterator has reached the end. Um, but the point here is that we've like embedded a for loop into this iterator. And the problem is that the compiler doesn't understand that for loop, that inner loop. Um, compilers are pretty good at like understanding loops and optimizing based on loops. 
and especially uh, multi-dimensional loops. Um, but all of that relies upon a compiler being able to um, lower loops to some canonical form that it understands and be like, hey, you know, like this is a loop and like, like then there, here's an inner loop within it. Uh, at the IR level in compilers, like at the LLVM IR level, there is no loop construct. There's just, you know, a series of, of lower level, um, uh, you know, assembly-ish um, uh, operations. But the LLVM backend understands how to recognize a loop in, um, uh, in that form. Um, one of the problems with these uh, multidimensional iterators is that the compiler doesn't understand that this control flow logic that's inside of this increment operator is actually an inner loop. And so it can't do things like avoid having to do that if check, you know, every iteration. And it can't do things like, um, you know, vectorize um, or unroll the loop or any of the loop optimizations that actually make loops fast. Um, so one of the cool things that I experimented with back in the day was, well, maybe we could trick the compiler by um, using uh, coroutines, um, specifically using generators. So what if we had a, 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 a coroutine that would like the body of the coroutine would just be two for loops, an outer for loop over the J indices and an inner for loop over the I indices. And inside of that innermost loop, you would just co-yield the, the current, you know, indices. And then it would, that this coroutine would return you, you know, some generator type. And then um, every element of this generator type would be one of these indices. And the idea behind this was, well, if you do it this way, in the cases where the compiler does all the coroutine optimizations and inlines um, essentially the, the, the code in the coroutine body in place, so it does the heap elision and the devirtualization optimizations, then essentially what it's going to do is it's going to take these two for loops and just sort of inline them into the place where you use them. Um, and then because it's done that, um, the loops should get lowered in a way where the compiler backend understands them. So you can write code that's just, you know, a, a C++, you know, stood for each over some iterators, um, but it will be as if you'd written the efficient code of the nested C style for loops. Um, and that technique actually kind of worked, um, but, uh, you know, that's not really a production uh, solution because you don't want your multidimensional iterators, the performance of your multidimensional iterators to be entirely dependent upon uh, coroutine um, uh, optimizations kicking in. Um, but it does suggest that we could come up with some, some set of compiler um, uh, extensions that you could use inside of an iterator to say like, hey, I'm signaling to you that this is a multidimensional iterator and that I've, I've got this logic of a for loop embedded inside of this uh, iterator. And you, 
uh, compiler should be aware of, uh, of that so that you can recognize that for loop and optimize accordingly. But until we have that, it is unlikely that we will add multidimensional iterators to things like MDSpan uh, because uh, we would rather have we would rather not have that instead of having a slow version of that. So here is a question. Um, in in a world where the generic algorithms provided by the standard library of C++ are able to work on these MD spans, and I've heard that they've um, MD arrays. There's also a proposal for that. So in some future C++ standard, there will both be an MD array and an MD span potentially. And in a world where you have one of these future multi-dimensional iterators that enables you to um, use the generic algorithms on these MD arrays and MD spans for shape preserving algorithms such as like transforms. I think there's no question sort of how those work, right? Because it's a atomic operation that you're applying to each atom or element in your multidimensional array. But how does like a reduction work? Because in the uh, array language world, you have a way of specifying the rank or the axis on which the reduction occurs. Uh, because when you do a reduction on a matrix, you can you can sum row-wise, you can sum column-wise, and as soon as you start to deal with cubes or hypercubes, is there a way of using generic algorithms? That's a great question. And it gets to the other more subtle part of multidimensional iterators. So when you're iterating through a one-dimensional set of elements, how many ways are there to iterate through? I mean, it depends on the exact version of that your question you're ask, asking, but it's either one or two, forwards or forwards and backwards. Wrong. Wrong. Those, what you answered was the two reasonable ways of doing that. <laughs> but you could imagine other ways. Like you could start sure, in the middle some, and some spiral pancake, out. Yeah, some pancake yeah, or do, shuffle thing. You could sure. do weird things like that. But like that's not, you know, that's not going to be super common. But but your answer of two, like there's two reasonable ways, forward and backwards. Yeah, that's pretty spot on. And I'm going to posit that in like a lot of cases, maybe 80% or 85%, maybe even 90% of times. You know, they're, you just really care about going forward, right? Now, in multidimensional space, there's a lot more iteration orders. There's a lot more options. And more importantly, there's a lot more um, uh, reasonable options. And mm -hmm. perhaps even more importantly, unlike in the one-dimensional case, there's not a clear default. In the one-dimensional case, go, going from like, start to end like going forward like that is i think everybody will agree that is a pretty reasonable like default like if you don't ask for something special that's what should happen but it's a lot more complicated for even something like a like a matrix like you know a two-dimensional like thing do you go like row wise first or do you go column wise first mm-hmm 
You know, not there's not one of those two that's a, the right default. But I mean, array language people would disagree. But continue. Um, I'm uh, I'm a no. There's something there's something that's coming out the day after this gets released, the next episode of ArrayCast, there's a whole discussion on rank and something called leading axis theory, which is basically a theory that came out of array languages that asserts that uh, you should always your generic algorithm or your algorithm should operate or be implemented such that the default is uh, using the leading axis. And that way you can use something like a rank operator to drill down to yep. any level of granularity that you want. And if you do it any other way, you've basically limited the scope of functionality that you can implement. Um, and that is, a, that is a great answer for theorists. But in the real world... <laughs> what do you mean? APL is um, in the real world. In the real world where um, uh, performance matters and where the uh, memory access patterns um, uh, often are the deciding factor in whether your code is fast or slow. What you've just said is not necessarily true. Uh, I mean, I'm not the right person to answer this question because I have not fully implemented an array language interpreter or compiler that includes a rank operator. But Marshall Lockbaum, who has implemented multiple array languages and was one of the subject matter experts on that episode, said that leading access theory necessitates that you get the best uh, performance in terms of like contigu contiguous elements being operated in. Right. But, but what if you're on a platform where you don't necessarily want every thread to be accessing contiguous elements? For example, a GPU. On a GPU, you want all of the threads in a warp to be accessing different elements. Or, di or do you want them to be, act to process be processing different streams? You don't want, in a single um, iteration, you don't want all 32 threads of the warp to be accessing 32 contiguous elements that are right next to each other. Because what you instead want is you want thread zero to be accessing, you know, some element, and then thread one to be accessing some element that's at a stride away from that element. Because you want thread zero to be able to prefetch all of the subsequent elements that it's going to be touching. Hmm. Like the 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 ax whether or not you want contiguous access or strided access, um, uh, like like these memory patterns, um, uh, it tends to it, it tends to change whether you're on a you know a, a SIMT type architecture or a SIMD type architecture. Mm. Now, sure, within a within a single thread, it may be the case that. Um, uh, that you always want contiguous access, but but like just as like a counterpoint to the example I just gave, if I'm on a CPU um, uh, and I have you know a bunch of threads on the same core, I might want them all to be accessing elements that have a great deal of locality because I want it to stay within cache. Um, but if I'm on a GPU, um, I might care more about you know um, uh, being able to overlap. Um, uh, and, and hide my memory latency. So wait, l let me ask a potentially uh, a question that will show my ignorance about how GPUs work. Are you saying that for for GPUs, if so, you say you've got 
let's, let's try and make a concrete example that'll be easier for you to answer. If you have a matrix, whatever, you can say 10 by mm -hmm. 10 elements or 10 million by 10 million elements. And it's stored in row major order, which is, I think, I think the naive intuitive way um, to think about it. But if it's not for you, it's the counterintuitive way. But so that means if you've got the numbers from, you know, one to 100, uh, they're stored just as an iota sequence from one to 100 as if in a vector. And then, you know, your shape is 10 by 10. And so say you want to sum these row wise and you want to sum them column wise. So in the row wise way, because each set of 10 elements that you want to sum are stored contiguous, contiguously in memory. Uh, you're saying that like in the case where you want to do it column wise and you're skipping every 10 elements. So it's slightly, it's the exact opposite. Instead of having each 10 elements you want to sum up together, there are 10 elements away from each other. You're seeing, you're saying that like a GPU might perf be more performant on the column wise data because threads can do some sort of prefetching for the data that they want versus having them stored contiguously. And like, I would assume that whether you're on a CPU or a GPU, both like the row wise, the row major reductions would be more performant. The, remember that the, the, so on the, th think about how the GPU core works. So all 32 threads with, within a warp mm -hmm. are, are, you know, they're, they're, Hopefully Olivier isn't listening. <laughs> they're, they're real threads, but like they're sort of virtualized. Under the hood, it's like one execution unit. So what's going to happen? Okay, we go and load data, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to go and load, you know, 32 elements of data. Um, all of those threads are going to do it at the same time. And the reason they're going to do it at the same time is because there's actually only one hardware unit that does the load. Okay. And so we want to load 32 elements of contiguous data, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, so that means that each one of those threads is going to operate on one of those 32 elements, right? Okay. And then what are we going to do next? Well, we're talking about a reduction. So then we're going to go load the next element that we're going to add in. And so we'll load another 32 elements. Um, so because those loads have to happen at the same time and we want them all to load, you know, contiguous data well and in fact that they have to um which elements should thread zero be be adding up should thread zero be adding up element zero and one the elements that are contiguous and next to each other that doesn't actually make a lot of sense in the gpu programming case because like the like we want every element, every thread to be working with one element from that first load. Right. So no, so no thread is going to be adding up two contiguous elements. So no, what we want is we want the th first thread to be adding up element zero and L and the element uh, 31 or third index uh, uh, 32. Sorry. Um, uh, so the element at the zeroth index and the element at the 32nd index, which will be from the second load. And then thread one will add up the element at the first and the 33rd index. So it's not contiguous, but it's a more efficient memory access pattern because we're going to do one load um, of like the, the, the 32 elements, one of which each thread will use. And we're going to do two of those back to back.
Interesting. So basically, you're saying that yeah, the the column wise way is is lends itself yeah better now on the CPU. On the CPU, each thread is going to be able to independently do its load, and so on the CPU, of course, we don't want we want um, the that zero width thread to be able to load and add together elements zero and one. And one of the reasons why we want it to be contiguous on the CPU is because we want to use vector operations. And vector operations, for the most part, want to operate on contiguous data. So the question of whether you want to access your, like whether you want each thread to be accessing your data contiguously for performance really does depend on the underlying hardware architecture. So once again, I will state that your, your claim may be correct in theory, but in actual hardware, it's not the case. And this is one of the reasons why it's important to have an iteration model where you can iterate the same structure in different iteration orders, because you might want to change that iteration order depending on what hardware you're running on. Now, I will, I will assert that um, uh, the direction of iteration or this, the strategy for iteration is just a property of whatever iterator you're using. If you want a different, you know, if you've got forward iterators and you want to go in reverse, well, then you go and get yourself reverse iterators. And like, and that same logic applies in the multidimensional case. Like you might be able to get multiple different kinds of iterators to the same structure. It sounds like I need to come on ArrayCast and explain some things to, to, to your co-hosts and buddies. Well, I mean... Yes, uh, yes, and no. It's just that there is there is no array language that's ever really been implemented targeting a GPU specifically, like targeting, not going through some um, like there is the codefunds, which uses array fire to compile down to run on the GPU, and um, there's been talks of other array languages trying to do similar things, but there's not been actually like an array language that doesn't that is directly like implemented in in CUDA or you know some library that uses CUDA or something like that meaning that I don't think people have thought about it to this degree it's like someone with your knowledge about how GPUs work has not implemented an array language you're going to you're going to make you're going to make me like now I'm going to have to go redo a part of my of my talk for array what do you mean? Educate what do you mean? Um, you're going to have to go redo. Let's be honest, Bryce. I was just going to reuse my my existing slide deck, but now I'm going to have to go do something. Good. Good. All right. Well, we will continue this topic. I have to think. I also am actually now I'm actually confused because I was thinking in my head is that I'm going to have to talk to Marshall about what he meant because really leading axis in in depending on the rank that you specify like leading axis theory is actually going to do the thing where you're strided but he mentioned at one point that like yeah and i i was just parroting what he said that it always leads to the best memory access patterns because your cells are always stored contiguously a cell being a yeah chunk no, of the array based on rank and i mean it might be 
It might be what he said. I'm sure not, is right. It's not even. It's not even strictly true for CPUs. No, no, no. I, I, I think I understand what he's saying. Um, I think uh, what, whatever he was trying to say, I'm sure he is correct. I'm probably misunderstanding what he said. I want. I no, no, no. I want to talk to this guy. I want to talk to Marshall. This guy. Can come on ADSP. I'm sure our C plus plus listeners. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> Bring him on. Bring him on. You set that up. All right. All right, I'll make it happen. I've also got my third podcast. He's going to be a guest on that. So Marshall's just going to be- You have a third? What? You're cheating on me. I told you about the third podcast one time in a previous episode, but then you interrupted and then it never, I put it in the show notes. So I've got a few people that signed up, but also I don't have any episodes right now. So it's- What is your third? My third podcast is The Programming Language Podcast. We'll we'll end it here. Stay tuned, listener. Great podcasting. Some great podcasting. We're We're bringing Marshall on. We're going to be talking about multidimensional iterators in the future, multidimensional algorithms, and uh, CPU versus GPU. This is going to be ex- this is going to be exciting. <sighs> I'm going to have to schedule time to um, make that keynote talk. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for <laughs> thanks for thanks for tuning in. I'm making we- notes. We at ADSP, the podcast, uh, plan to stick around um, for at least as many episodes as CVPcast, 294. I think that's how many they had. And more, apparently, because Bryce committed to you in the last podcast that until one of us drops dead or is murdered by the other person, uh, we're going to continue to do this. That means through kids, apparently. I mean, you're going to have to talk to my... I will make an exception if if either of us has triplets. Twins? No, we can handle twins. If either of us has triplets, we can take a break. I appreciate that you made whatever percentage of our listeners are parents. They are laughing to themselves extremely hard right now <laughs> at at the idea that you think like anything below triplets is going to be just like a walk in the park. I am going to have very well behaved children. Oh God! Do I do everything I say? Look! 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 When 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 I was a child, I had. Uh, my mother gave me there was one room in the house that that was the designated room where i could have my toys and the rest of the house you'd never think that a child lived there that's how it's going to be with my kids they're going to be very neat and orderly i say you are welcome to the listeners that are also parents that are having a good chuckle having a good laugh the entertainment value is brought to you by bryce bryce adelstein adelstein future parent um and we'll we'll check back in with bryce yeah. in uh several years couple years it depends yeah and, no, my uh, ch- well, and my, see I'll how that's dead, going because my 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 children will kill me i'm sure does your mom listen to this podcast she's probably having a good chuckle right now too um, um she does not listen to this podcast um it's too bad yeah nor does nor does the girlfriend thankfully yeah it's uh yeah it gives us more freedom yeah. <laughs> like you joking yeah. about how easy having anything but triplets. <laughs> uh, I look forward to my solo podcasts when I'm recording on Saturday morning by myself because Bryce couldn't make it due to the fact that he was up all night with his young babies. Um, <laughs> Which one of us is going to have kids first? Oh, you definitely. We've already had this. Con- we've, we've already had this conversation. Oh yeah, we did have. This and then we saved it for episode two hundred. Um, so, ah, yeah. Yes. So, in three years' time, actually less than three years at this point, two and a half years' time, we're gonna have to dig into the vault. Yeah, I've got a very uh, aggressively labeled episode, whatever sixty something point five. Please do not delete. 
because <laughs> it's gold and we can't uh, we can't delete that all right we've gone over and uh thanks for listening thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed and have a great day